You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and I am very pleased to welcome Zoe Presley, who does um, a practice, a therapy practice, uh, connected to uh, forest bathing, healing uh, in the woods, and uh, with, with therapy. Zoe Presley, thank you so much for coming on to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. Absolutely. Um, I had encountered the, the, the concept of Shinrin-yoku, uh, known as uh, forest bathing, um, a general practice of, of, of being uh, in the forest and with some intention. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you encountered this practice and how you've uh, started to integrate it in your, your therapy and in, in, your, in your life? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started my career as a psychotherapist, uh, learning a lot about the impact of burnout on healthcare professions. Uh, you know, it affects doctors, nurses, psychotherapists, essentially everyone who works in the healthcare sector experiences burnout from time to time. And so I had this inner exploration of what would it look like for a healthcare provider to be receiving care as well as offering care at the same time. And that inquiry brought me to, well, how do I receive care? What, what is it? What is the experience for me personally feeling cared for, feeling healthy? And, you know, it was a pretty quick link to my experiences with the outdoors. I've always really loved spending time outside playing as a child. And then that interest developed into camping and hiking, backpacking, you know, and water sports, you know, as I got older. And so the investigation of how I could bring together nature and healing brought me to a couple of books. I found Dr. King Lee's Forest Bathing and The Nature Fix by Florence Williams, which piqued my interest about how there, there was a bridge that was, that was being created by different healthcare practitioners and love of the outdoors. And that part of that bridge, it refers to forest bathing and Shinrin-yoku. And that led me to pursuing a, a training by the Association for Nature and Forest Therapy uh, to be a forest bathing guide. And so that was a few years ago. And since then, the, this idea of forest bathing has become a lot more pervasive. There are forest bathing training programs and programs for the public literally all over the world, uh, as well as lots of books and magazine articles, which I'm sure you've come across in your search. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and I want to just uh, pause there and, and just kind of bring this in, Zoe. Like, um, so we're chatting about this forest bathing and uh, we're up in the Pacific Northwest and it's, it's certainly a kind of, uh, it, it might feel like a unique or a new idea to a lot of, uh, a lot of the listeners. Um, what, what, 
what do you see is 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 going on? Uh, you, you go into the uh, when you, you're engaging in, in forest bathing or, or going into the forest uh, to heal. What's what's different about the forest uh, than 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 other places? Well, that's a good question because actually, forest bathing doesn't just refer to an actual forest in the way that we think about it. You know, it doesn't refer to going to the mountains or going to a heavily treed area. Forest bathing would probably be more accurately described as nature bathing or nature immersion. It essentially refers to bathing in the atmosphere of nature or taking in nature through our senses. Uh, So it's really about being intimately aware of and connected to the natural world wherever you are. So that might even be walking down an urban street and noticing a weed coming out of the sidewalk. It could also refer to being in the Grand Canyon, you know, a place where there's very little trees. Um, So it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a forest, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a vast expanse of wilderness either. Forest, forest bathing is really something that can occur just about anywhere. Yeah. And, and it, it, let's say you're doing, and I appreciate that, um, uh, those comments, because it has to do with the more of a connection, I think, from, you know, of where you are. But if, you, uh, if you're doing, um, so you're a therapist and you have training in this area. If you're doing, uh, if you're, actively engaged in in this practice uh with clients what does what does it look like um what does it look like for you to have a you know a a session say forest bathing session well so i I would like to differentiate um there's different terminology that's used for different aspects of of the, the practice of supporting someone and engaging with the natural world. So that that can refer to the practice of forest therapy, which is something that's associated with a a guide training program where you lead an individual or a group of people through a series of exercises that are intended to help somebody connect with the natural world. Um, And that is different from what is sometimes called ecotherapy, which can be psychotherapy that is simply practiced outdoors. There are elements of forest therapy that can be combined into ecotherapy. Um, So with my clients, it can look like a a variety of different practices that all have different names. Um, But sometimes it does look like having psychotherapy, you know, in a natural area, going on a walk or sitting in the forest having a conversation about someone's life and the challenges that they're experiencing while also supporting them to connect with their senses to their environment you know that that's an aspect of traditional psychotherapy that isn't necessarily part of a treatment you know to to inhale the aroma of the surroundings to look for elements of inspiration in the surrounding environment. Um, Those are the components of forest bathing that help to create a different kind of experience for someone, especially to help them get out of their thinking mind and into their physical experience, into their sensory experience. Um, So yeah, those are just just a couple of examples of how I might support someone 
through traditional psychotherapy that, that takes place in a natural environment or how I might, you know, support them in sort of veering away from traditional psychotherapy practice into just an exploration of the senses. Yeah, thank you. And, and we're speaking with uh, Zoe Presley uh, about um, forest bathing and, and, and healing. One of the interesting uh, pieces that uh, I just mentioned here before we popped on and recorded is about um, the kind of dynamic uh, ecosystem of, of, of the forest and learning about trees themselves, as far as that, uh, that mm-hmm. dynamic environment. And mm-hmm. the you know, physiological components, like you had alluded to the smells that, that are exuded from the plants, the, the, the life and, um, the vitality mm-hmm. when, when you, when you, and I'm going to say one more thing. I, I was fascinated by your point that you are engaged in the healing in the environment. And then that, the, uh, with another individual or, or individuals, your role within that, do you have to carve out or help to create the, the healing space for uh, everybody that is there? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I, I think that my role is really about helping someone transition from a more intellectual, uh, analytical space of, of their mind to a more experiential uh, sensory experience. So what that looks like is offering an invitation. You know, what happens if you close your eyes and just listen? You know, what sounds are available to you? What sounds that are close by versus far away? What happens when you just notice when you just listen. And after that, you know, the the client or the individual who's with me really takes it from there and it becomes their own experience. You know, the, the object is really to have it less shaped by human influence, including my own, and to have it more be about the individual's own engagement, own experience of reciprocity with the natural world. So, so my, my job, again, yeah. is really about yeah. creating an invitation and then stepping back. Yeah, I appreciate your, your, uh, your description uh, of that. Um, it's, it's very helpful. Um, this is a, a podcast and we get into um, philosophy and, and, and some some big questions. And I wanted to, to ask you a couple of those um, connection sure. to your work and to yourself. Yeah. Uh, one of the pieces, um, one of the questions I like to ask is, as far as you yourself, who or what made you who you are? That's a big question. You know, I could say... Well, it was obviously my parents or my family, my friends, the people I've learned from, my teachers, my life experience, you know, but really I have no idea. I, I believe that there is so much about life and existence that I will never know or understand. 
And I actually enjoy that aspect of being alive. You know, the, the notion of understanding versus experience, experiencing, is an important aspect of forest bathing, which helps us separate from, you know, the incessant cognitive processing of our typical daily experience that wants us to make sense of life and understand things and really shift into the experiential realm where we simply observe and participate. Um, you know, I, that's where I connect with awe and inspiration, deep connection. And so what, you know, what your question elicits in me is this sense of, I don't know who made, who made me who I am in terms of who is Zoe, but I could tell you what is influencing me in this moment. You know, I'm looking out the window and I see that the apple trees in my yard are in bloom. And when I see those blossoms, there's a feeling that arises in me. And that's who I am. I am that feeling. Yeah. And about about your answer, too, I think um, it points to like a large question like that, because in, in philosophy, I think sometimes like you could engage in philosophy and questioning to try to gain an answer. Um, I actually don't. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> it sounds strange. But, but 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 for me, I've been more influenced by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who said, my job mm. as a philosopher is not to answer a question, but to find them everywhere. Mm. And it has to do with, and this is where the therapy comes in with the, with, with the philosophy or, or talking, is that it seems strange to engage my entire life with like a large question, like, is there a God? I'll, I'll never answer that. I don't, I don't, I, for me personally, for me, Ken Vellante, I, I don't, I can't answer it. Don't know how to whatever, but I'm interested in the question and I'm interested in the mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. of thinking about it. Um, but if you're not comfortable with not having the proof at the end of it or not, you know, being secure where you are, it ain't going to be a great process. Right. Mm. And I, I, I really appreciate your elements where you're saying, ah, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Here, here's, here's what I got, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, I think, it's, I think it's a good part of the, the therapy of the questions, at least for me. Well, especially in the culture that we live in, in which we can get attached to labels imposed on us and feel oppressed by those labels, you know, oppressed by the label of mother or daughter or, you know, what we do for our, our work is the totality of, of who we are. And I think that the problem with that is that we don't always feel a deep association with those roles, not every moment of every day of our lives. And so that, that can be you know, existentially challenging sometimes if we are so used to thinking of ourselves as the roles that we play rather than the experience that we are having. And sometimes that can lead to you know, frankly, mental health challenges. It can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety and stress, sometimes even trauma. 
So I think there, there is a benefit of getting to understand ourselves through the experience that we're having in the moment as separate from just the, the roles that we play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think that has to go deep into um, the, the, what you talk about identity, you know, in the moment and in our roles and how we, how we view our, how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoe, is there, is there, there doesn't have to be, but is there art in Shinrin Yoku? Oh, I, I absolutely think so. Um, you know, art can be interpreted in so many different ways, but, but, you know, I mentioned that forest therapy can involve invitations or suggestions for engagement with the natural world. So for example, one invitation is to find a natural object that symbolizes a phone and then have a conversation into that phone about the experience that you're having. Other invitations relate to creating designs with found natural objects or creating stories based on what is observed. Um, A while ago, excuse me, I was inspired actually to write a poem in the woods one day while looking at a leaf. And I was wondering if you would like to hear that. Absolutely. Okay. I just called it the leaf. It's not perfect. This decaying leaf caught in the fronds of a bracken fern. Sun spots and frayed edges tell this leaf's story. Not the whole story, just maybe when the wind blew it loose from its host tree, now doubt a long distance from its present home, inches above the forest floor. I am compelled by this leaf, how it rests unapologetically in the fern. I anthropomorphize its sense of pride and satisfaction. I've traveled so far. I consider my own life, my sunspots and frayed edges, the arms I rest in. I am also imperfect, but I am not like this leaf, content, I imagine, on the fern. No, I strive for something like perfection despite all the indications that my striving is senseless. I am not yet like the leaf who accepts its place in consciousness, but I hope to be. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Zoe. Let me ask the the question. Were you a creator when you were born? Aren't we all, you know, endless artistry is involved in in simply developing as a human being, you know, with our very first efforts in life, like breathing and moving our bodies. Um, But, you know, as a child, I was compelled by music and theater and the opportunity to pretend. I was involved in community theater as an adolescent, and then I sang in rock and bluegrass and jazz bands as a young adult. Um, so, you know, was I an artist when I was born? I, I think, I really do believe that we all are artists and we are all endowed with an inherent human creative ability that, that is not just 
for the purpose of our own explorations, but I think is also part of our survival. We need to learn how to be creative, both, you know, psychologically and also physiologically. We are constantly finding solutions to problems, big and small, and there's so much artistry in that. Um, in, in the past decade, um, I have explored creativity mostly through the investigation and practice of healing modalities, uh, as well as, you know, in deepening my connection to the natural world, like through that poem. You know, the natural world inspires me. It makes me think deeply and it helps me grapple with big questions that I have about life. Um, and, you know, to me, that's what artistry, that is what creativity is all about. As I've gone along in the, in, in the podcast, I've learned a lot that uh, there, there are things that happen earlier on, uh, you know, encouragement of the art, the environment of the arts, uh, the environment that you're in. Um, we see a lot of uh, rested development <laughs> creatively and artistically where, you know, for one reason or another, it's not possible to do it or life goes this way or, or mm -hmm. that way. And uh, one of the biggest things I see <laughs> emerging is like, what do we do to cultivate that, you know, that spirit of, of creativity before, you know, for myself, I, like I had mentioned uh, to, to you a bit before um, we got on, I think, um, you know, I've been identify myself as an artist, like deliberately for the last three years of my life, which is just a smidgen mm -hmm. of the years that I've lived. And um, mm -hmm. connecting to that and refining that that's where my energy is uh, presently and I think it was uh, just kind of stuck <laughs> for a while mm -hmm. um, maybe mm -hmm. a very long time um, and it sounds like you've felt comfortable enough to go into a few different you know creative endeavors in your development uh, as a creator yeah I would say that Aside from, from myself interpreting it as, as feeling comfortable in those spaces, I would also say that it's felt like a, a necessity to me that uh, expressing myself and finding ways to explore my connections with other people, with the natural world, has felt like uh, a lifeline. You know, it's, it's felt like, in many ways, the reason for being alive. Um, so in that sense, I, I consider it in some ways a, a luxury, but also a necessity. Yeah. It's like breathing. <laughs> it's it like is like breathing. breathing or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Zoe, uh, big question without any trepidation. Why is there something rather than nothing? So this is a very interesting question, I, and I, I, I think my curiosity is how do we know that nothing isn't something? You know, I, when I think about spaces or moments that seem to be vacant with regard to you know, what we might behold with our senses, there's always something. Right? A black hole wouldn't even have that name if it were truly nothing. And, you know, similarly, if, if someone says there's nothing to do or there's nothing here, 
is that ever really true? Uh, so in my opinion, the purpose of being alive is to radically seek the something in every moment, especially when we're inclined to see nothing. And I, I think that that's part of how we can deepen our connection with the, the natural world is through really, as I said, radically seek what is happening here. Not just through my eyes, but what's happening through my heart and my soul when I behold, you know, when I hope, behold this aroma, when I behold this sensation then what we might have initially assessed as nothing can turn into something pretty profound, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that, I, I just was following your words, and <laughs> it was very helpful for me. Um, mm. we've, we've been talking with Zoe Presley, and um, I, I, I just deeply enjoyed this conversation. Zoe, I want you to um, connect the... Uh, connect the listeners to, you know, your practice and, and what you have to offer, or maybe just in general about the forest bathing and uh, Shinrin Yoku. So there, there's another poem that I wanted to share. And I would love, I would love for that to happen. This, this one's not by me. This one is by someone whose name I'm hopefully going to get close to. The name is Zimi. Motokio, who was a 14th, 15th century philosopher, actor, and playwright, who incorporated numerous themes of Zen Buddhism into his works. And I, I thought your listeners might appreciate how this piece of writing, which had nothing specifically to do with forest bathing, really encapsulates so much of my understanding of and relationship with forest bathing. And what I hope that people also might try on their own to seek the something when there is, you know, apparently nothing. So here's, here's the poem by Zime Motokio. To watch the sun sink behind a flower-clad hill. To wander on in a huge forest without the thought of return to stand upon the shore and gaze after a boat that disappears behind distant islands, to contemplate the flight of wild geese seen and lost among the clouds and subtle shadows of bamboo on bamboo. Absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely. And that was the 14th or 15th century you mentioned? Uh, Zimi was alive in the 14th and 15th centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you uh, so much. Um, just just incredible. Uh, Zoe, what was your website? My website is my name. So it's zoepresley.com. That's Z-O-E-P-R-E-S-L-E-Y dot com. 
Zoe, I want to thank you so much uh, for appearing on the program and um, honestly, uh, in, in talking to you uh, here, you know, the, the somethings, <laughs> the somethings mm-hmm. that, that, that you, you know, shown to us and, and given to us. And uh, I want to thank you deeply for that. You're welcome. And, and if I could just offer, offer your listeners one more thing, because I, I do think that as you, as you mentioned earlier on in our conversation, that healing spaces are so much about intention. And that considering that healing can be thought of as opening up the body, the mind, the heart, the spirit to engage and receive. In a practical sense, this can be so simple. It can look like taking a deep breath, reciting a mantra, stepping over a threshold, focusing our attention, or even just listening. And with that simple intention and simple action, anyone can consciously shift awareness from the thoughts circulating in your mind to everything else that is available in the moment, what we see, smell, hear, touch, taste, feel, And in those spaces, we can become aware of healing that is always available, but that we're just not paying attention to. And so there isn't any uh, complex set of directions for this. It is accessible to anyone of any age, any ability to simply create an intention and open themselves up to what is happening in the moment. Yeah, and that's that's uh, th- that's powerful. And you know, basic instructions. Uh, one of the things, yeah, as as I'm recording here this weekend, um, for the first time in my life, I've laid out nine separate things for self care. Hmm. Um, this for myself, I've never done that. Good but for I've you. Done that. Uh huh. Yeah, and part of it part of it is is creating this podcast with you, and part of it is 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 learning the deep learning uh, that I've experienced mm. uh, from you. So it's, it's a real it's a real thing, and it's in process. So mm. um, wanted to thank you so much, Zoe, um, uh, for your time. And uh, a little bit later this afternoon, uh, there's a beautiful trail, and I'm going off in the woods for about five to six miles. Yeah, oh, good for you for you. I hope that you are able to open yourself up completely to the experience, maybe in new ways today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is Something Rather Than Nothing.